Good morning, church. Uh, Let's go to God with a word of prayer. Our gracious Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for giving us another day and for allowing us to get here safely. Uh, Lord, we do pray that you will continue to uh, help us to worship you in spirit and truth as we get into your word this morning. Father, I pray that uh, you'll calm all of our anxieties, Father, that we can open our hearts and our minds to your word and uh, also allow you to speak us into faith and encourage our hearts. And I pray that we can also encourage each other, Father, uh, throughout the week as we learn uh, from your word and as we learn through prayer and uh, as we all uh, strive to take our walk with you higher. God, I pray that my words will be yours. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's nothing like a little technical difficulties, right? Well, we're going to get a little old-fashioned to begin with, but then hopefully things will start to connect for us. It's good to see everybody. feel like it's been a while, right? I know a lot of us have been to the uh, Thrive Conference, right? And man, that was fun. It's fun bumping into some people at the mall and in the street and in the hallways and different things. It was great. Uh, this message, actually, I think is, um, is a, it's one of the responses to, uh, the, to our time at Thrive because it was a lot of, there were a lot of lessons, a lot of great classes, a lot of great speakers, and I, I was just happy to be a participant. And the question that I want us to ask ourselves is, do you want to get well? You know, oftentimes... We come before God and, and we, we open up our Bibles and we read and we pray. And sometimes we're like, well, why am I doing this? Why am I a Christian? Why am I coming to church? Why do I, let, why do I sit down in a place and have some guy yell at me for 45 minutes and tell me all the things I need to change? It's just like going to the doctor's office, right? You go to the doctor's office to have somebody to tell you you need to change this, you need to lose that, you need to work on that. And, you know, you go to the dentist, you need to brush this, you need to floss that. I mean, we, we, we know we need things, and we sometimes need to remind ourselves of the why. And the question that I often ask myself, and I ask myself this week, is, James, do you want to get well? Now, that question implies that there's something wrong, right? It sounds negative in, 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 in nature, but that's not always the case. Because for some of us, the question would be, do you want to stay well? So I just say, do you want to get well? Because that's actually in the scripture. But we're going to add on that. Do you want to stay well? Because some of us are doing great. We're loving life. Our marriage is great. Our kids are obedient. We're paying our rent. We're paying our bills. We actually got to go on vacation. We got to, you know, you maybe even got to buy yourself some new flip-flops. So I don't know, but maybe life is good for you right now. So my question to you is, do you want to stay well? Because oftentimes when we're doing good, we start to take a little break from doing the things that helped us get well in the first place. Does that make sense? So today my question is, do you want to get well and stay well? Uh, You can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Today I want to look at a very familiar story, just to give us a little context here. 
Now, the scripture's not going to show up. That's part of our technical difficulty, but at least it looks good. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. You know, I appreciate it. One brother got up at the conference and said, you know, I miss a paper Bible. I like using the paper Bibles. And I'm like, amen, brother. Let's go ahead and use our paper Bible. But just to give us a little context Uh, This is a very familiar story. One day, Jesus was headed to Jerusalem uh, for a feast. We don't really, the Bible doesn't really explain which feast it was. But he comes to a popular place with the pool, which would make sense right about now, right? Jesus went to the pool, right? Just like some of us like to do. Uh, But this was a special pool. This was a pool where, where disabled people would gather from all over. And they would come to this pool because they believed that their... The pool had some miraculous powers. Now, a lot of scholars believe that this was a superstition because the way the pool was situated, there was a spring that flowed into the pool. And so oftentimes the pool would bubble up from the underground spring, and the people thought that there were angels that were coming down, stirring the water because it would it would rise and then it would it would disappear. And so what would happen is you would have these disabled people who would gather around this pool and once it filled up, they would run and try to get into the pool so that they can be healed. And there, so you can imagine what that must have looked like uh, because it was believed if you were the first one in the pool, then you were shown favor and you would be healed. So you can imagine people on crutches and they didn't have wheelchairs back there, so people were probably crawling on the ground, and, and, and God knows how people were getting in. Maybe there were some friends who were carrying their friend and, and just standing at the edge of that pool, waiting for it to bubble up so they can throw their friend in, hoping that that friend would be healed, right? And so this guy, there was a guy who would go down to this pool every day, For 38 years. And he was never able to make it into the pool. So here in John chapter 5, we see in verse 1, it says, Sometimes later Jesus, sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, which and which is surrounded by five uh, covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, let's pause for a second right there. This is Jesus. We're not just talking about any passerby right here, right? This is God in the flesh. You would think that he knows the guy would want to get well. I mean, you could safely assume that, man, if the guy's an invalid, that means he can't move around on his own or he can't move, uh, you know, uh, comfortably on his own. And, and, and sometimes, I think for us, we, 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 we often just assume that people know we want to get well. Can't you look at my face and tell something's wrong? Well, that's how you always look, so I don't really know. I mean... And we just assume that, well, look, I called you because, you know, and we just assume that people know that we want to get well. We want to do better. 
And so Jesus asked this question, and the man replies in verse 7, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Now, there's a lot of significance to that last sentence, but we're not going to really get into that because that goes into a whole other discussion. But the point I want to make here is that this man was stuck for 38 years. 38 years. And I think some of us can relate, maybe not to his physical condition, but to his spiritual condition. Is there anything in your life right now keeping you from moving forward? Have you been going to the same place for years hoping that something would change? Hoping that something would be different that day, only to be faced with the same results year after year after year? You know, some people would say or argue that this man was going to the wrong place. You don't go to a pool to get healed, right? You go to the hospital. You go to the doctors. Well, we'll look in in a few minutes and we'll see that that's not always the case either. And maybe that is true. Maybe this man was going to the wrong place. Maybe it's his fault. You shouldn't have been going to the pool for 38. After year two, you would think he would go somewhere else. But the man was desperate. And I think some people are so desperate that they'll go to the same place over and over and over again because they want to be healed. And they'll go to what's familiar, hoping that something will be different. Sometimes the Bible will use physical handicaps to describe spiritual ones. You know, the blind can be looked at as people who have no faith. They can't see God in their life. They can't see God working. So the blind sometimes are used to describe those who can't see God. The lame would describe those who are often stuck, unable to move forward. The paralyzed, those who are afraid to move forward. It's not that they can't. They just fear the unknown. They're afraid that paralysis of analysis. They're trying to figure, they, they don't want to move backwards or they don't want to move forward, but they know they can't stay where they're at, but they're just afraid because they're indecisive. And then we have this man, an invalid, who was obviously dealing with the consequences of his sin. We'll look at it a little bit. You know, sometimes our condition, our present condition is the result of something we've done in the past. Now, it's important to note that every time someone was, you know, physically disabled in the scripture doesn't always mean that they were sinful. That's not the case for everybody. Just want to make that clear. But let me ask you, have you, do you have something in your life that's enabling you from living, disabling you from living the God, the way that God has intended you to live? Do you want to get well? Do you feel as if You cannot move forward because something is crippling your faith. Do you want to get well? 
Do you feel enslaved to an addiction and powerless to its grip on your life? Do you want to get well? See, Jesus asked this man a very direct question. Do you want to get well? And I believe Jesus is asking some of us the same question today. Do you want to get well? And for others, do you want to stay well? Because just because we get well doesn't mean we're going to stay well. Now, there are three keys that I think can help us get well and stay well. The first key is desire. That is what I call first aid. Usually when you hurt yourself, you administer first aid, right? Or you put a Band-Aid on it, you try to cleanse the wound, or you do something until, you know, the professionals come. And desire is like first aid. It's like you got to start with something. you got to start with the desire to get well. Otherwise, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to move. You have to have the desire to get well. Now, after being stuck for a long time, Eventually, it starts to become a way of life for people. You start to lose hope that things will change, and, and then you start to, to, to lose the desire to get help for yourself. Because in your mind, you're thinking, well, it's not going to change, so why should I get help anyway? We become accustomed to it. We get used to our condition. We get used to our circumstances. And God is like, no! Don't get used to that. That's not what I intended for you. That's not the life I have planned for you. Don't lose your desire. You know, desire is a powerful motivator. You look at some examples in the Bible, the bleeding woman in Mark chapter 5. This woman, this woman was hemorrhaging for 12 years. She felt stuck. She couldn't live a normal life. She's seen doctor after doctor spend all that she had trying to find a cure. She never gave up, though. She kept going on. She did not allow herself to accept the idea of staying unclean because that meant she couldn't fellowship. She couldn't go to church. She couldn't be around her family because she was seen as unclean. And she was tired of that life. And for 12 years, this woman pursued help. She went after it. Her desire kept pushing her forward. She was unable to live her life. And in verse 27, it says that when she heard about Jesus, she touched his cloak. And her desire to get well was that if I can just touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be healed. And her desire to get well drove her on. It was so strong that Jesus even noticed power leaving from him. That woman's, that woman's desire to get well was strong, that God felt it. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we remember the story of Naaman. He was a commander in the Syrian army, but he had leprosy. And if you remember in the Old Testament, people with leprosy were, were, were treated as outcasts. But here was a man who was uh, the commander of a Syrian army. He had leprosy. He was told that there was a prophet named Elisha who could help him. And his pride had almost kept him from getting well. Elisha told him to dip seven times in the Jordan. He was like, in the Jordan? That's like someone telling you to dip seven times in the Hudson. What would your response be? 
the hut, the what? Don't y'all got a pool with some chlorine in it somewhere? Like the Hudson? You know, that's how I used to think about going to, to Orchard Beach. Orchard? Hmm. I haven't been to Orchard Beach in years. We go out to Jones Beach, the clean beach. Y'all remember what Orchard Beach used to look like back in the days, right? Syringes washing up on the beach. You want to go to a beach like that? So Naaman was thinking, wait a second, why the Jordan? Where I'm from, they're, they're beautiful places, they're beautiful bodies of water. Why the Jordan? His pride almost kept him from getting well. He was angry. Because he expected something different. He expected Elisha to come out, wave his hand over him, and perform this miraculous healing. Instead, Elisha looked out the door, go dip seven times in the Jordan, went right back in his house. And Naaman is like, who's this guy? Doesn't he know who I am? Sometimes our ego can keep us from getting healed. We come and we want, we want people to give us the attention we deserve. Don't they know how important I am at my job? Don't they know the respect I, I command when I walk into a room? Yet when I come into church, hey, how you doing? You can sit right over there. I don't get the front row? No, that's for the teens. But anywhere over there, you can sit. You don't get the red carpet rolled out for you at church, so you're like, what kind of church is this? I don't see any nameplates on the back of the chairs. How do you know who sits where? We sit wherever we feel like sitting. Everybody's the same here. Nobody's more important than the other. And Naaman wasn't used to that, and his pride almost kept him from being healed. But here's the thing. He went to great lengths to get healed. He allowed his friend to talk some sense into him. His friend said, look, if the prophet had told you to get baptized or get washed somewhere else, would you have not done it? You know, let's, 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 let's be smart here. You're suffering. You're hurting. Just do what he said. And Naaman humbled out. He listened. And because he had a deep desire to be healed, he was healed. You know, these are just a couple of examples. And God is looking into our hearts to see if the desire to get well is there. Because we can talk all, we can talk a good game. We can say all the right thing. We can give all the right answers. Yes, I want this. Yes, I want to do it. But God is looking for the desire. How bad do you want it? How much do you want this? How bad do you want your circumstance to change? God is looking for that desire. You know, of all the people at the pool, Jesus approached this man. There were a lot of other people there. And you, I wonder, like, why him? Why did Jesus go to him of all the other people? And I think maybe it's because his desire to get well was greater. And his situation, his circumstances was intense. So maybe Jesus said, you know what, I'm going to go to him. But we have to have that desire in Psalm. Chapter 10, verse 17, you hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, and you listen to their cry. You know, God does not ignore our desires when we feel afflicted. God will encourage you. 
God will listen to your cry. God will come and God will lift you up. God doesn't ignore desires to get well. He's drawn to it. And, you know, the other things can be said as well. You know, in Proverbs 13, verse 4, the sluggard craves against nothing. The key word there is sluggard, lazy. You know, when, we, when we're lazy, we can, want all, we can want the world. That doesn't mean you're going to get it. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Those who are willing to go where God is pointing them, their desires will be fully satisfied. Not partially, fully satisfied. That's the God we serve. He promises to encourage and satisfy us. How bad do you want your situation to change? Cry out to God, and Jesus will always respond. The second key is we got to take it higher. We got to take it higher. Now, I know right away we're thinking, what else, what, what I got to do? What I got to, you know, sometimes you don't really have to do a whole lot, you know, or it doesn't, it's not as much as you think you need to do. You know, when you, you want to get well, you got to have the desire, you know, at first aid, you got you to gotta have that desire to get well. The next thing, you got you to gotta get up and go. You got to get up and go to the hospital. You got to get up and go where you're going to get the help. Just sitting at home isn't going to help some of us. Lord, I want to grow in my faith. Then get up. Lord, I, I, I want to I grow in, 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 in my responsibility. I want to serve. I want to do more. Then get up. You're not going to do a whole lot for God laying around. You've got to have the desire, but then you've got to do something with that desire. You've got to do something with that desire. You know, verse 7 the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down the hill ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Now Jesus asked this man a direct question, and what did he get in response? He got a story. Well, uh, you know, I have nobody to help me, and when the water's stirred, and when I'm trying to get in, people go down ahead of me. They don't care, Lord. They don't care. Jesus didn't ask, why are you not well? That's not the question he asked. But he answered Jesus as if Jesus asked him, why are you not well? He asked him, what, do you want to get well? And I think sometimes some of us are the same way. Jesus is asking us, do you want to get well? We're busy saying why we're not well. Why we're not well? We're, we're giving these stories. Well, Lord, I was hurt. Lord, they said this. Lord, they did that. He said, I didn't ask you that. I know everything. I know all of that. Jesus knew the man's condition. But that was not the question he asked him. Do you want to get well? We want to get well, we got to get rid of some of these excuses. When we make excuses, we take the power away from God and give it to our excuses. And when we do that, we make our excuses seem bigger and more powerful than God. What excuses are you empowering more than you're giving to God? They have a way of, of, of disabling us, too. 
keeping us from, from living a life of fulfillment, a living a life of happiness. You know, we take those woe to me scriptures personally. Woe to me because I'm, I'm lonely. Woe to me because, my, you know, I didn't get that promotion. Woe to me because I didn't get to finish college. Woe to me. And, and we, be, we start coming down on ourselves and, and we, we're beating ourselves up and, and we're looking at our excuses and we're looking at God and, and, and God is starting to shrink compared to our excuses. Excuses keep us from going the extra mile to get well. The bleeding woman and Naaman, they both went the extra mile to get well. You know, I made every excuse I can think of when it comes to my health. Before I had my back surgery a couple years ago, I made every excuse in the book. Well, you know, I'm old, man. I'm 40 years old. I ain't got time to be running up and down no courts and, you know, and and then I see my 65-year-old father-in-law running around, and I'm like, well, that's him. You know, he's small, you know. He weighs about 100 pounds wet, you know. I mean, small guys can do that. You know, I'm a big guy, you know. You got time for all that. Then uh, the biggest excuse, oh, we're busy. We, when am I going to go to the gym? When am I going to work out? You know, that's just a small, that's a, that's a very important part, but it's such a small part to your health. But are you willing to go the extra mile to be healthy? I can't afford to do the things I want. Okay, well then, what are you doing about it? Well, I don't get enough money. Well, I don't do this. Well, how about your spending? Can you cut back on that? Since you, what can you control? See, the more we make excuses, the longer we make excuses, the longer it takes for the healing to happen. The more excuses you make, the more distance you put between you and the healing that can happen. What was Jesus' response? Get up! Like, well, Jesus didn't listen to his story. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't ask him more questions. Jesus didn't get the whole picture. Jesus didn't need the whole picture. Jesus is painting him a different picture. This man spent 38 years looking at a picture. How long do you want to keep staring at that picture? I'm trying to show you a whole nother view, give you a whole nother perspective on life. And some of us are pulling out that woe to me picture from our wallets. Why we're not moving forward. Why our lives are not better. Why we're not doing well. Why I'm not happy. Why I'm not pure. We can come up with excuses till the cows come home. Is that improving your situation? Then you need to give God a try. And you got to take it higher. You got to get up out of those excuses. Usually, excuses keep us disabled. The ones that keep us disabled are the ones we make to keep us in our comfort zone. You don't make excuses about things that you feel fine doing. It's when 
makes us uncomfortable. And then right away, you don't even have to think of an excuse. It just comes right off your tongue. (laughs) It's like speaking your native language. You know, somebody asked me, what are the things? I don't like being inconvenienced. So people, somebody asked me, hey, can you? No. Oh, man, yeah, you know what? I can't. And I'm trying to, and then you start thinking of a reason why, because you spoke so soon. Now you're like, man, I don't want to lie, so what do I have to do? But you're just used to not wanting to be out of your comfort zone. So you say no before you even have a reason to say no. Bro, can you help? Nah, bro. And as you drag it out because you're trying to think of the excuse. My wife. You're not married, bro. My soon-to-be wife. Bro, we need some teachers, bro. I got to get the kids. Uh, and we just, <laughs> we sound crazy. And people know we're lying. But some of us got really good at it. See, when you tell yourself enough excuses for a long time, you really start to believe your own excuses. And you convince yourself that there is no other way. And so when you speak, you actually think you're talking the truth. Like this man right here. Jesus just asked him a simple question, and this man, well, nobody helped me, nobody. He totally didn't see God in the whole picture. And he was going for a miracle. He was looking for a miracle without God. How does that work? So in his mind, he had gotten so used to telling people that same line, that he couldn't see God standing right in front of him. You know, I think one of our comfort zone areas where we make a lot of excuses is in our evangelism. I think some of us have convinced ourselves that this is nobody open. Or I'm just, com- I'm just uncomfortable talking to strangers. You wouldn't be here if somebody else did not decide to get well in that area. Somebody stepped out of their comfort zone to talk to you. And I know some of us, even as Christians, got some crazy looks on our crazy expressions. One brother was telling me that somebody stepped, approached him about his expression. It's like, bro, I don't like your expression. I don't like your face. No, <laughs> they didn't say that. They didn't say that. But I just, I just thought, wow, that's, that's pretty deep. Somebody actually said that to me a long time. Bro, are you okay? Like, you seem, I'm like, why do people keep asking me if I'm okay? And after a while, I got frustrated. Like, why do people keep asking me, am I okay? And then one day I'm going shopping with my mother in the supermarket, and I happened to walk down the frozen food aisle, and I caught a glimpse of myself, and I'm like, that's why. (laughs) I'm like looking all hard and frowned, and, you know, it's like sometimes you just, you don't even know. Until somebody points it out. But I think for some of us, we've allowed ourselves to stay in our comfort zone when it comes to our evangelism so long that we let weeks and months go by without talking to anybody about God. And we are absolutely okay with it. That is not good. That is not good. Christian and evangelism is like 
water, and fish. The only way the gospel spreads is if people hear it. We're saved because of the grace of God. We were given a mission because of the grace of God. And let me tell you something right now. Harlem is probably one of the most open places in the world. And you're like, well, no, James. Uh, and that right away, there we go. Let me, let me show you what some of our brothers and sisters are dealing with in Sweden. This is Chris Reed in Sweden for ICOC Hot News on the churches in the Baltics and Nordics. Today we're going to show you what it's like evangelizing in our part of the world where it's not just atheistic, in many cases it's actually even anti-Christian. To give you an example, we took to the streets in Stockholm, Sweden and asked people what they believe. Tro och kärlek. Do you have faith in anything? Faith? Uh, well, I believe in peace and love. I would consider myself uh, an uh, agnostic. I don't believe in any God or something like that. I think it's, uh, there is no God. I don't know for sure if I don't have a soul or if there is no God. I don't live by the religions, but I, I like their ideas. Thank you for your time. That was about the most open discussion I've had in six months. Feeling pretty good about uh, getting a good Bible study going on with him. Here in Stockholm, over half the church was originally met by someone on the street. So the church trains its members on how to start conversations with strangers that surfaces their needs for God. Several faithful disciples are making a great impact in their communities. This is Levi in Oslo, Norway. I Norge så liker ikke folk noe særlig organisert religion, og spesielt ikke gudstjenester. Så det vi gjør er at det vanligvis må vi kanskje invitere mer enn 150 personer bare for å få en til å komme, til og med om det er et morsomt arrangement hvis det er sammen med kirken. For noen måneder siden så kom jeg opp med en litt ny idé. Jeg tok og brukte Instagram til å invitere folk til å snakke om sin tro over en kopp kaffe. Det var ganske enkelt, men det tok litt av, og innen noen få uker så hadde jeg over 1000 kontakter, Aviser og radioprogrammer inviterte mig til å komme og snakke om det. På vår første bibeldiskusjon så hadde vi da ni helt nye gjester. Nå bruker jeg kanskje en til to timer hver dag for å nå ut til folk på sosiale medier. Og jeg kan nå ut til like mange mennesker nå på 30 dager som det ville tatt meg kanskje to til tre år å gjøre tidligere ansikt til ansikt. Over in Tallinn, Estonia, instead of Women's Days, the church runs what they call Women's Café several times a year. Women's ministry leader Trin gave us the details. In a country where not so many people believe in God, it's somehow strange to come to church. So one day we got an idea, why not make a cafe? Come and buy a cup of coffee and a nice cake and really chat for two hours. And it really worked. 30 sisters and about 30 visitors came. So we have total strangers and they talk about the most hurtful things on their heart and it's it's amazing and they they build trust and they come and they meet again and now we have women's cafes three times in spring and three times in fall we were thinking if we only have like one person getting baptized that is with all worth it but by now we have already 10 people become a disciples 
people who got baptized, they later shared that they were touched by the uh, life stories of the women who were sharing. And I'm happy to say now that many other churches are having their own women's cafes now. And that's some hot news from the Nordics and the Baltics. Please be praying for this part of the world. Amazing, right? Simple ideas. All because people decided, I just want to take it higher. We have no excuse. We live in a society where people do believe in God. Where they would at least give you a chance to sit down in a Starbucks or in your home and talk about God. We're not dealing with those type of situations. And so what excuses are we holding on to that are keeping us from opening our mouths to those who would readily be open and respond to our life story? You know, Jesus is calling us to get up, and it's by the power of God that enabled that man to get up. It wasn't something he was able to do on his own. If that was the case, he would have done it 38 years ago. But it's by the power of God. You know, we see what simple faith can do. One brother had to talk to 150 people just to get one. But he did not let that stop him. He did not let the atheistic society he lived in, the anti-Christian society he lived in, be an excuse to stay quiet. And we can't afford, we can't afford to do that. Maybe it's not evangelism for you. Maybe you are, you're very evangelistic. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your parenting style. Don't let excuses keep you from taking it higher. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Take that leap of faith. Come up with a plan. You know, believe it or not, this man had a plan. I'm going to go down by the pool every day, and hopefully someone will show some compassion. And guess what? Eventually, it paid off. Imagine if he was not consistent, and he missed that one day that Jesus decides to show up. He would still be an invalid. That one day, he was at least consistent. So if you come up with a plan, any plan, I don't care what kind of plan it is, be consistent until God blesses it. Don't give up. Don't give in to the excuses. And then finally, be inspired to avoid the fire. In in John chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus, you know, after healing this man, he runs into the Jewish leaders of the time who were really against Jesus, some, you know, most of them, uh, not all the Jews, but most of the Jewish leaders. And because he was healed on the Sabbath, they made a big issue about that over the fact that the man was healed in the first place. And so here we see in verse 9, it says that once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Today was on which took, the day on which it took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbid you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up your mat and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away to the crowd that was there. 
Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. He didn't even know who Jesus was. That's a big excuse to remove right there. Why don't you know enough about the Bible? He didn't know. He didn't know either. He didn't know who Jesus, he didn't even know who healed him. But Jesus asked a simple question again. Here we see that that question he asked him initially had much deeper meaning, much deeper purpose than just his physical healing. Because Jesus said, stop sinning or something worse may happen. Now you may be thinking, well, what could possibly be worse than being an invalid for 38 years? Oh, right, the H word. We don't like saying hell often, do we? Because it makes people uncomfortable when you talk about hell. But it is a reality. And we don't, we don't want to talk about it with our friends because, oh, you know, you guys are talking about hell and judgment and this. But Jesus told this man, look, you're doing good now, right? You're happy? Now stop sinning or something worse may happen. Hell is a good motivator. It shouldn't be the only motivator, but it is a good one. And most of us came to Christ because we were fearful of going to hell. And so Jesus being the one who spoke about hell more than anyone else in the Bible, do you think that's also part of the gospel? Well, why did you come? Because I love you and also because I don't want you to go to that other place. It's as simple as that. And obviously this man... However he lived his life prior to becoming an invalid, his lifestyle led to him being in a condition he was. Sometimes our sin does that. Now that's not every case, but sometimes it is. And Jesus is saying we need to be inspired to avoid to avoid the fire. Let hell motivate you to live right. Let eternal separation from God be part of your motivation for why you live right. You know, in the story of the rich man Lazarus, the rich man tried to use his own experience in hell to motivate his own family to stop sinning in Luke chapter 16. Verse 24 says, so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Now, people have debated for years whether or not this was just one of Jesus's parables or whether this was a real story. Most of the time when Jesus uses a parable, he doesn't use names. In this story, he uses a name which implies that it's talking about a real situation right here. Hell is so hot that he thought a dip of a finger in water could ease his agony. And then down in verse 27, it says, He answered, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham's reply was, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father, you don't understand. If someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if 
they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they'll not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. You know, some people respond right away to God's grace. Others wait until it's too late. And here, this man wanted someone to warn his family and thought that if someone came back from the dead, that that would be enough to inspire them to avoid that fire. Jesus is saying, don't wait until it's too late. Be inspired now. We have Moses and the prophets just like they did. We have our Bibles to inspire us to live the right way. God has saved us from incredible pain. Incredible pain. And he's encouraging us that there is something worse than what we experience here on earth. And the only way to avoid that is to stop sinning. To turn and walk in the way of God. It makes us uncomfortable talking about hell. I get, I, I'm un, I get uncomfortable preaching about hell sometimes. But it is a reality. And honestly, I appreciate that it's in that story because think about it. Jesus healed seven lepers one time. Only one of them came back to thank him. So there's no guarantee that just because God takes care of your life and blesses your life that you're going to start following God. There's no promise that if God saves your soul, that if God forgives your sin, that if God heals your wounds, that if God takes away your debt, that you're going to keep following him wholeheartedly. So there has to be the reality check in the message. Get well and stay well. Get well and stay well. Well, Lord, if you give me a husband, if you give me a wife, I will follow you. Here you go. That's no promise that we're going to keep our commitment to God. But Lord, if you give me a raise, you know how bad. Here you go. Contribution coming. Ooh. Uh. You know, it's funny how some Christians use God's own blessings as excuses to not be wholehearted to God. My kids, I can't come to Midway because of my kids. I can't serve because of my wife. The job he gives us, sometimes we got to be careful what we ask for. The higher up you go, the more responsibility, the more commitment they're going to demand. That paycheck looks good, but at what cost? Now, I believe we need to strive for the best. We need Christians in some of the highest places and authority in the world. I absolutely believe that but not at the cost of your salvation. So God is asking us this morning, do you want to get well? Do you want to stay well? Because if you do, then you need to have that desire. And you need to be willing to take it high. Do whatever you got to do to get out of your comfort zone. God is with you. God will enable you. God will bless you. God will walk with you. 
Jesus stood right there until that man was able to stand on his own. Imagine what he could have said. Well, I hadn't walked in 38 years, Jesus. That man got up and he walked. We got to step out on faith and trust in God that he will walk with us. And then lastly, we got to be inspired to avoid the fire, living a life of repentance. Don't think just because you were baptized that you can't slide back. We want to stay well until God calls us home and to God be the glory.